0: The theme for the evening talk is what the teachings uh, point to. Um, During the uh, days of uh, being here, as with uh, previous uh, retreats, for a number of uh, people, sometimes the question arises uh, around uh, uh, teachers' relationship to uh, teachers and that associated uh, area. And I was reminded of this a little bit today from one or two people. And in fact, uh, further uh, uh, reminded, uh, since um, uh, Shada has been putting a lot of time, care, effort, and energy, this is a bit of promotion here, (laughs) Um, into putting uh, together some notes on... uh, much loved book in the Buddhist uh, tradition, um, called Middle Length Sayings, which consists of some 150 uh, talks uh, of the Buddha. It's contained in a, a single uh, volume, and rather beautifully uh, uh, edited and published and translated um, through the uh, through Wisdom Publications. And for some people who make uh, an initial attempt to uh, comprehend both the breadth and the depth of the teachings of the Buddha in that single volume, it can be somewhat uh, formidable. And a few people have given up on the first two or three sentences. (laughs) So, uh, Shada has uh, Spent a great deal of time uh, over the last uh, year uh, going quite purposefully and systematically through uh, each and every one of these uh, talks, which I think make something like 14 to 1500 pages in that single uh, volume, and distilled the very uh, essence so that it can serve for those interested to know the original body of teachings, which all these are inspired. Uh, by can have a very simple and direct and immediate reference point to the essence of uh, each of those uh, talks. And uh, so today she was meeting with uh, Andy uh, Olensky, who's the director of the Buddhist uh, 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 Studies Center just down the road here from IMS. And uh, Andy is a Pali sc- uh, scholar. As she was showing him it, and hopefully that the a companion study guide for the new translation of the Middle Length Sayings will be available in the in this very lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> and I am. Um, was spent um, half hour, 45 minutes before coming in here just looking and reading through uh, some of the uh, 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 pieces and uh, she has quoted a, a few people who are um, uh, have much love of the text and I, to my surprise I didn't notice, know this before that, I'm, I'm, that uh, Christopher Titmuss is quoted in there and I have to say I found myself in complete agreement <laughs> which can't always be said so to come back to the original point in this diversion here um, (coughs) so sometimes the question (coughs) of um, not only relationship to teachings but to teachers and that certainly is attended to uh, in the text there that's what I want to uh, refer to and in that for some, and each uh, person must look to herself, himself, here, uh, some will speak of having uh, uh, a teacher. And uh, hopefully in that interaction and in that uh, communication, uh, it's a genuine contribution, of course, to insight and understanding and to liberating wisdom. Others will... Uh, regard themselves as having um, a main teacher. Others will regard as having a a number uh, of teachers. And I think whatever the uh, consideration uh, with regard to that is, that the benefit and the support uh, from teachings and teachers uh, is important, that the tradition has stated and confirmed this uh, again and again, and in that, the relationship, one not only of as teacher, but also equally important, of course, as good friend, towards directing and reminding and helping to establish the way of the Dharma, the path of the Dharma in daily life. And therefore, it needs and requires, as we see through our experience, the support, and that support shows itself in such forms as retreats, in such forms as tapes, in such forms as uh, books, in such forms as contact uh, in the various ways and means which are possible and the ways of communication uh, which are possible. And sometimes in that uh, communication, there there are issues and questions which arise in uh, people's lives. And sometimes in the body of uh, teachers or teacher are skillful and helpful ways and means to feel nourished for insight and understanding uh, to come. And so a number of you, and quite a number of you who have a connection with the Dharma, regularly with uh, IMS, do have and do respond to connection with teachers, find that uh, is important. And all that I can say and do with regard to that is to give encouragement uh, to that. And in the text where the Buddha has been asked and explored and looked at this uh, um, particular uh, area, it is one which, uh, in terms of um, knowing a a teacher, two of the important aspects of this which uh, the Buddha refers to uh, in the text uh, one is that one has known uh, the uh, uh, teacher for some time, and why that is important is that sometimes in a brief encounter or a brief contact uh, with momentary or a day or a few days or, or whatever, sometimes we can draw, you know, uh, conclusions. We can draw conclusions which uh, elevate the teacher or dismiss the person for that for that matter going the other way. And therefore the contact um, over a sustained uh, period of time uh, in various ways and means that are possible uh, is important. And the other um, point which the Buddha also uh, mentioned is that in contact with the teachers to know teachers in terms of how things are when things are difficult, when, when the pressure is on. Especially in a body of teachings which make much reference to the importance of wisdom in the face in the face of things. In that and in this in this particular text uh, here which uh, Shada gave a, the sum, a summary of, the Buddha then also gives, and he's referring to himself also as well as others. and he says two of the um, means, and fairly self-evident, but two of the means for uh, the consideration and for the reflection, um, come through eyes and ears, and through eyes, of course, uh, the uh, bodily activity, <coughs> the behavior of, of the person, and, um, and also, also through ears. And the areas of consideration, not only with uh, 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 teachers, but senior people in the Dharma, and uh, with, our, with ourselves, of course, he, he refers to the importance of charenard, means uh, com- conduct, which is skilful, respectful, uh, sensitive. Uh, he, he refers to obviously uh, states of mind, and and the clarity uh, of, of states of mind. Uh, he, he, re- he refers to in terms of when a person has under, undergone change, and then in the undergoing of change may then enter into a role, a a teacher role. And sometimes what has happened, and I I think this is a very important consideration, that a person may undergo a very significant shift or change and may use words such as being with God or becoming enlightened or liberated or whatever, and then very quickly, though the tradition has expressed caution about this, has then entered into a a role of influence, a role of authority, and so uh, the Buddha, in the Middle Lent Sayings, has, says in terms of change in which healthy and wholesome is coming through uh, the being, to give consideration to the amount of time that that is established with that, with that person. Uh, the, he then says, how is the person in, in situations in life where there is a name and fame? And anywhere in any kind of modestly or significantly public role, he, he, he says, or oh, is there conceit and arrogance attached to the name, to their name? And one of the ways that sometimes that can show uh, uh, itself, and sometimes it brings some discomfort there, is where a, a teacher, a spiritual teacher, is consistently using the language of I and my and us and them and and then easily how easily it can can actually be a, a self-righteousness it can be an arrogance it can be a, a conceit and and a, an, an empire building up and that certainly is one of the the dangers in spiritual life and the consequences for that for all involved teachers and students alike so Teachers, teachings and practices cooperating and work working together do require from all of us a genuine vigilance uh, in the dynamic of, of all of this. And so it's important that not only do teachers have a privilege and opportunity to uh, give feedback, to give response, to give intimations to others, but also it must be a two-way street and students give feedback to teaches in all the ways uh, and means that are, that are possible. And that's all part of a responsible approach to the deep things of, of the Dharma. And for some, and, and, and for some of, some of you here, it may require and may need at some point here or elsewhere just to give uh, some reflection on uh, relationship to teachings, but also relationship, therefore, to uh, teachers and especially, of course, teachers that one senses and knows and and hopes and and trusts that are reliable, that can be relied upon and uh, who are trustworthy and supportive in uh, giving and generating the body of of teachings. And as I say, sometimes it needs some uh, uh, reflection because some of you have said to me over the time, over the... Uh, over the years some discomfort, I'm not quite sure, do I have a teacher, is this person a teacher for me, or, or whatever. And uh, some of us, and I certainly include myself, uh, endeavour to be a teacher uh, for people. It is a privilege, uh, obviously, and as other teachers here this week and uh, elsewhere endeavour to do so as well. And sometimes, therefore, um, that uh, Reassurance, in this case from myself, needs, needs to uh, go out to others. And in that, don't hesitate, if and when necessary, to have contact uh, with us. And we endeavor, of course, to keep the support going for you. In coming, in giving support and giving access to teachings and access to uh, practices, uh, there it's as though teachings, the outpouring of uh, teachings in various ways, meet and connect with practices. And two aspects of this here. One of them is that in the listening, where anyone, any of us in fact, reveal a great deal uh, about ourselves in talking, directly and indirectly, and in the listening, that sometimes in the act of listening, and it is the one of the primary acts in the Dharma, that in the act of listening, the understanding flowers and emerges in the act of listening. And one of the features and importance of that, and as I said, these texts uh, refer to this again and again, that in the act of listening, understanding can come which doesn't in fact require... The confirmation of experience to understand. Uh, In other words, there are times, and it can be in other ways as well, uh, reading etc., in the act of listening itself and in the interest and in the receptivity and the connection uh, is there. (coughs) That one hears, it passes through the ears, it goes down into the being and there is an immediate recognition and acknowledgement of the for oneself, as it were, of the bare truth of what is said directly or indirectly or intimated in some way or other and one knows for oneself. And therefore much insight, understanding, awakening can take place through the act of the listening. For some The act of uh, listening may provide inspiration, it may provide a a theoretical framework in which to uh, reflect upon, and therefore through the reflection itself, there is a deepening and a clarification taking place with us uh, as an outcome of the listening. We listen first, we reflect on what touched us with that is then digested, it then transforms itself within, and understanding comes out of it. Sometimes, and as one person was reporting to me um, in uh, in a one-to-one meeting, there is this was uh, an outcome in relationship to yesterday evening's talk, that there is a listening which uh, uh, takes place, and then, not consciously or deliberately in any way, there is a depth taking place of meditation. In the depth of meditation, one is experiencing that vibrational life, as I was referring to, the opening and the openness, which begins to accommodate and embrace it, and much more subtle levels of being which even get underneath the emotional life to something very, very silent and deep. And then, in this case, the talk uh, acted as a small uh, reference point or a small framework of reference so that what was happening in going from uh, the dissolution of the body to uh, the body uh, becoming uh, uh, just light and cells to going uh, deeper than that, that the body of the teaching then acted as a support so that fear and panic and worry and anxiety didn't arise in, in some confu- out of some confusion about what's going on with me, what's going on here. And, and therefore that depth could come. And so as I say, sometimes, and in many other ways, it's direct listening, contributes to insight and understanding, and sometimes it serves as a frame work as a support for meditation, for samadhi, for exploration, for working with the hindrances and the obstructions, and that, and that twofold activity matter. So it's not surprising uh, therefore that through the two and a half uh, uh, thousand uh, years, over a hundred generations of practitioners, that there has been a consistent in- encouragement for both the uh, uh, listening and for both the practices. Because the danger with one, that is, if we just listen and we have no other resource, the tendency is that it can become rather intellectual. Easy. And particularly with uh, the Dharma which appeals so strongly to human reason that the teachings sound reasonable, they sound just, they sound down to earth, they sound... Uh, sen- uh, sensible and applicable. And, and if we just had practice and, and had no teachings to support the practice, then very easily the mind would be interpreting on its own. It would be easily get confused even just with mindfulness of breathing, or working with the body, or, or with the states of mind, or whatever. So we bring two features together called teaching, we bring practices together in the trust, uh, and that the outcome of that really genuinely will really awaken our life, and just how important that is. Just um, uh, Yesterday I was reading the uh, last publication of the Insight Meditation Centre. And it had in it an interview with Joseph, Joseph Goldstein, one of the co-founders, who has just come out of a, a month personal retreat here uh, today. And there was a, just an excellent uh, interview uh, with him. And, and, and in various ways, making that same point again of, of the great importance of practice, of sustaining that practice, and, re- and so that it really, genuinely, really points to Really awakening our life and, and staying awake in it, which is the uh, core feature of it. <clears throat> in that, in looking and, ex- and uh, exploring that from the uh, uh, inner life, in the uh, instructions which were referred to uh, this morning, and, uh, and Joseph, in, in, in fact, made a, um, uh, a, a wry uh, one line comment and I want to uh, uh, add a little bit. There has been tremendous encouragement, at least I hope there has been, um, during the days here to be aware as clearly as possible with regard to what is arising. What is arising. And in that, sometimes we have said directly and indirectly, of course, that to turn to particular features of life and to really connect with those particulars which are arising. The arising and passing of the breath being an obvious example. The arising and passing of emotions and feelings. The arising and passing of thoughts. And, of course, the arising and passing of sounds. And the arising and passing of the notion of I and my. In giving attention to that, as has been mentioned, in the arising and the pass the arising and the passing of my, part of the purpose of that is that if we are not aware and very clear about the arising and passing, we as it were, um, impose on that all sorts of other features. And one of them, of course, is continuity. And the Pali word is anicca. I can never remember how to spell, so I'm not going to try. I have heard it for 30 years. And the Nietzsche anicca, means permanent. So the teachings are to be aware of that which is not permanent. And the reason is when there is holding and clinging in any form and we look at it invariably we'll have notions of continuity. And sometimes that will show itself in the kind of thought that runs through the mind, like, how long is this going to continue? You may have had that in one or two of your sittings. <laughs> so the mind untrained, undeveloped, in the inner uh, life, will Experience what is arising impose upon it or project upon it a continuity and with that continuity pressure will build and the pressure will show itself in, in one way or the other fear in this case how long will it continue mm. the pressure is there and, and, and fear that it will keep going uh, on and on Similarly, in the the important teaching of being aware of arising, it it is also to be aware of passing as well. And in that awareness of what is arising and, and passing, when seeing clearly and well, so that the understanding is genuinely coming into us, it gives some sense of space about what we pursue. It gives some opportunity for us to look at what we cling to. So in those things which affect us in life and touch upon us in life, we have a wisdom, the wisdom that is the understanding, enables us to be aware of arising and passing. If we go just to one side, as it were, of the movement of life, or to the other, it begins to generate problematic existence. Sometimes we just want to go to arising. We just want perpetuation of of continuity, we just want new things, we just want to uh, better experiences to arise. We just want to get rid of the old and pursue something different or so-called better. If we, and therefore quite sometimes the force of the pull and the force of attraction towards a new arising, can be strong. Sometimes it's with passing. And it can show itself in aversion, in negativity, in and just seeing finishings and endings and and, and dying and stopping and, and over with and all of that. And the tendency keeps going that way. And therefore we have to need to look at ourselves and look at ourselves in our relationship To what's beginning in life, a relationship to what's ending in life, and what kind of feelings and movements are from us in relationship to what arises, in relationship to what passes. Because our health of being is very much related to how we relate to what arises and what passes. So not surprisingly the teachings have reminded us uh, again and again, can we have a clear understanding with regard to what is arising as what is arising? And can we have a clear understanding about what is passing as just what is passing? And give ourselves the opportunity and uh, the space be very well established in that. It could save us from heaps of suffering. It would save us, in fact, from heaps of suffering. Because the element of suffering is so much around continuity. Either things ending too quickly, things going on too long, things what we want, not arising, things which we don't want, not stopping. And so the, the world of the inner life lives mm-hmm. in associationship with what arises and passes and with what doesn't arise and doesn't pass. And if you can think of a problem not concerned with any of that, you're the first one in the species. Try to think of any problem in your life which is not involved in arising, or in passing, or in not arising and not passing. If anybody has got anything outside of there, on to you. So since this world of arising and passing has such significance for us, since there's such encouragement as one feature of the teaching to take a tremendous daily interest in this process of arising and passing, beginning and ending, start and finish, birth and death, coming and going, that to find wisdom in that is the responsibility of a human being because the problems of life are involved in that, not outside of it. And therefore we endeavour, not easy, but endeavour, so to speak, to penetrate through, to cut through, to see whether we can live well with it. Sometimes, and and some of the (coughs) Dharma friends and practitioners, (coughs) um, forget, it's understandable, but forget that in the strict language, in the very precise language of uh, the Buddha, it is a the rising and passing, the not permanence of all things. And all of that is a sometimes it's hard to in, uh, digest, but it's a characteristic of existence. It's a characteristic of existence. And. As a characteristic of existence, as a characteristic of existence, it's not the true nature of things, it's a characteristic of it. It's a feature of it. And to a degree, we get spellbound by what's arising, by what's staying, or what's changing, what's coming and what's going or what isn't. And that world has an extraordinary grip upon us. It seems to fill our life. And in a way, we collectively agree to it. But what happens for us when the world of arising and passing and coming and going of things and issues and those things I touched upon yesterday, what happens if there is an understanding which begins to come towards what is arising and passing, including in this world our very existence. Including even the arising and passing of this world, which also is subject to the same law, the same characteristic. What happens if we, we begin to understand that well, and the feature of understanding it well is that we are not so easily knocked off balance by those characteristics. We know them. We know, we know things arise. We know things pass. We know some things arise don't arise and we know some things don't pass when we want them to. And what happens though, would that be sufficient? Would it be sufficient for a human being pretty rare, but nevertheless, would it be sufficient for a human being to be very wor- wise about living in the world of arising and passing? And say, well, that, to do that would be pretty good for one existence. But it's a characteristic. A characteristic. It's a, a mark. It's a, a sign. It's, a, it's something we apprehend. It's something we agree to. But if in that wisdom, and sometimes that wisdom is actually, more than we realise, actually coming through in our day or in our meditations, indoors and outdoors. And what I mean, mean, mean by that is, why is it that sometimes, when we are silent, feel an extreme, sen- wonderful sense of silence and a, and a wonderful sense of stillness. How come? Why is it that in that time there is an appreciation of nothing arising nor therefore any concern with anything passing? It simply isn't a priority and there's nothing particularly important or significant to actually have to turn our attention to. To actually have to look at, to have to go into or to investigate or to uncover or to find out or whatever. That we had experiences as human beings in which this world of arising, of what's arising in the moment or what's passing in the moment, actually doesn't matter to us. There's just a silence there. There is just a, a stillness, and maybe in our silence and in our in our stillness, perhaps there's the potential for us to have a sense of another way of of, of knowing. And what I mean by that is, for something to a. Important and it takes them, may take, hopefully, the listening will be enough to save you having to reflect on all these things and meditate on these things. I said earlier, when something arises, why do we say it arises? Who's so convinced? The moment we say something arises, which we're saying all the days, something came up today, wow, whatever. The moment we say something arises, we are separating it from what it arises from. We are giving it a kind of its own being, its own importance, its own what? Its own selfness. Not selflessness, its own selfness. In arising, it becomes something. And in its becoming something, we may say, oh, God, this came out today. It's was just wonderful. Or we say, this came out today. God, it was just terrifying. Or we say, this came out today, and nothing ever happens. Just stuff comes and goes. So, in either case, whether it's pleasurably perceived, whether it's unpleasurably, displeasurably, or somewhere... Uh, in between the very fact that you and I say it arises separates it from all else, from all else that it arises from and we say it's different and therefore we say, God, there's so, many, so much stuff arising and passing this coming up and going, this coming up and going, etc, uh, etc et and we're convinced that we have A world full of different things and issues arising and passing. From what? And then the mind runs and says, oh, from the past, oh, from all that unconscious stuff inside of me, oh, from my mother or whatever. The very view, just what? It just arose. Not a lot of conviction behind it given its own characteristic, its own feature its own authority, its own reality, its own truth and we're totally persuaded that we know what that rose where it came from it just came from another horizon what if we don't apprehend in that way What if we just don't make another arising to explain the last one? What do we say? This is ridiculous, living like this. What would it do to science, therapy, a state of mind, history, anything? we've been persuaded, we've persuaded each other that we explain one thing by the, which has arisen by the arising of something else. And we live in this conjecture. And we make the, this position with solidity. And sometimes we know, through our own experience, that we get tired of it trying to give an explanation of one thing by trying to explain it from the, some other arising. And, and thus, naturally, naturally now, there can be wonderful responses that go on when we don't want to explain. And we're glad we don't have to explain or interpret or analyse or whatever. And we give all of that up and we allow the being to be in silence. And therefore arising is arising for passing. And sometimes we say we stay in the silence of things and we say but teachings and surely they're, well, they're not just a, a pointing to the wisdom of understanding arising, the wisdom of understanding staying and passing or whatever. Surely they're pointing to a freedom, liberation. Surely that's to an enlightenment, that, that it's, as it were, going that way. That, that's the, the main purpose, the main um, uh, priority, to go all the way. And certainly, certainly it is, and teachers, of course, are very important about this, and and keeping that as a as a, a as a, a priority. And it's a great credit to the centre here at IMS to um, help nourish and and develop and 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 cultivate uh, that uh, priority. But then we we look and we see even there, that our inner life is in a kind of helpless condition. It's helpless to actually comprehend that which matters. And we're constantly trying to explain and comprehend, and in fact, the more we penetrate into the Dharma, the more we find we have to, as it were, as it were, keep leaving our mind behind. And so there's a natural, again, i use the word again here, natural interest and a natural response that goes on us that we're very glad. It's it's not like, oh my God, I'm leaving my mind behind. It's, oh my God, thank God. I'm not in my mind, I'm not lost in my thoughts, I'm not caught up in my mental state and all my personality. There's, there's not like there's a resistance to it, there's an appreciation of it. That is coming from somewhere, the appreciation of not being lost in the mind doing its thing. But somewhere, we know not where, there is a response which somehow recognises the mind in all of its mind states this is a very limited instrument to know anything which really matters. And the very confirmation of that comes for us in our meditations, in our awarenesses, where we're quite happy, happy to leave our mind, its ordinary everyday mind, to leave it totally behind. If someone would take it off us, we'd, we'd give it to them as a, a, as a gift. <laughs> we, we wouldn't even think of it as a We No, take it, take it. <laughs> so in this interest in, as it were, leaving the mind behind, including all the dharma knowledge, all the dharma insights, all the Dharma experiences from the past, as well as the unhealthy and the uh, unwholesome. There's something in us, naturally, which responds to it. And yet, the sense of the incomprehensibleness of it all also begins to stand out. And we talk of freedom, we talk of liberation, we talk of Enlightenment. And immediately we can't go anywhere with it. Some might say, as a point of inner comfort, oh, freedom is within you. So we're silent, we're still, and we close our eyes and we look within. Well, whereabouts? <laughs> And what one finds is some, maybe some calmness, some happiness, some contentment, some spaciousness, some clarity, and some bodily life and vibrations, of course, and an organism breathing uh, in and out and the pulse and the vibrations of things. I say, well, which, which of those bits would be... in can't see any free, this freedom within... What is this freedom within in that wherever I look within always there's something going on to a greater or lesser degree. And then some will say well perhaps it's not really freedom within perhaps it's freedom without. (laughs) Out where? And maybe it's something greater something bigger something of Above myself, or around myself, or, or, or something outside, and, and some of us put it maybe put it in the language of of God or something divine or or transcendental or whatever, and that takes the the problem, so to speak, of trying to to find this freedom within, where except we keep where because we keep meeting things, but then there's this. Freedom without this metaphysical freedom, this transcendental, transcendental freedom, or whatever, where is it? It's over the over the shoulder blades, there, or or what, what, whatever, and looks up above or around, and, and and it seems, well, that can't be it, because if there is, if that freedom is is out out there, somewhere beyond me and out out of me. Then Then I should be able to have some get to it in some way or other. And then somebody says, "Well, it's not outside of you, and it's not inside of you." And then someone will say, "Oh, well, maybe it's in and out. Well, please tell me which bit is out and which bit is in." <laughs> so again, the the mind comprehend. It can't locate the liberation. It can't see it uh, out, out there, and if it was out there then somebody else might have it and they might be able to offer it to us cheaply. And, and yet, so neither in nor out nor one nor other, and yet the teachings point to it extraordinary thing. And if there was liberation and we could get close to it, then we say, oh, I, I got close to liberation. And I had a, a, a taste of liberation. And I don't know whether it was inside or outside. But then, I have a taste of it and then I fall back and I don't have a taste of it, and then I want it. But I've been living like that my whole life. Had something, lost it, want it back. Now I've got a new thing called liberation, enlightenment, truth, God, reality, or or whatever, and something, same old mindset. So I can't make it an object which I can go and get. I can't go and get it inside because I can't find it. I can't get it uh, uh, out, 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 outside because where, where could it be outside of me? My mind cannot comprehend. Wherever I turn, it's confusing. Not in, not out, not somewhere in, in between. My mind has to give up. It has to give up. So the extraordinary thing with teachings, they, as it were, point us along the way, Point us in a direction, we use all the resources that we have, which is called heart, mind and body, and it's not the reference point. How do we explain this? How do we explain it's not the reference point when we do all this practice on ourselves, and yet we can't find it in ourselves. And we do all this practice on ourselves, and it's not outside of ourselves. And therefore, we're faced with what is incomprehensible, what is immeasurable can't place it here, can't place it there, and what is truly unseizable. I cannot seize on liberation. It is not seizeable. It's not gettable. It's not findable. That is just Wonderful. It's got no mark, no sign, no characteristic, no feature. There is nothing tangible. We can't get our mind around. Into, out of. Finally teachings point us there. And in the incomprehensibleness of it all, there is complete wisdom. There is complete wisdom. Fulfillment of wisdom. May your beings live with awareness. May all beings explore the nature of things. May all beings know that which never arises and never passes. Have a couple of quiet minutes together.